Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside my good friend and host of the Bucks Radio Network, Justin Garcia, for today's episode, uh, where we're going to recap some of the big storylines out of Game 1 and ask the question, what is real and what is not real from this very small sample size that we have to look at here? What we think but where we think the Bucks can improve, where the Heat are going to improve, and we're going to bounce a few ideas off each other here. But I'm going to remind you, the NBA playoffs are here, so don't miss any of the big storylines and team previews, which you can find right across the Locked On Network and specifically with the Locked On NBA podcast. Follow Locked On NBA podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, we are gearing up for Game 2 here, which is depending on when you're, you're listening to this, it's going to be Monday night at 6.30 Central Time tips. So a bit better for certainly the Australian contingents that are going to be looking forward to watching this game. I'm happy about that. Uh, Justin, before we get to that, we are recording this as I uh, on Sunday evening and I've just sat here and watched an, an enthralling game one between the Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks. And Twitter was exploding with the atmosphere and how electric the garden was. And, and to be quite honest, uh, I don't think there's been an atmosphere or a basketball game quite like that in terms of the feeling inside the arena since the p- pandemic started. So uh, I guess we can start there because, and it's not a new thing. This was prior to the pandemic as well. There was some conversation on Twitter from those that weren't at the arena that were thinking, what is going on with the atmosphere at Fiserv Forum? I do think that the broadcast played a big part of that, but you were one of the fortunate people that were there. Uh, what did you feel inside Fiserv during game one? Um, you could definitely feel it, that, um, that there was increased fans. And so for me, as soon as I got to the arena um, and you saw the, the playoff T-shirts are back now, so as soon as you saw the T-shirts laid out on the seats and you got to visualize, like we all knew 50% and you, you put it through your head of, wow, this is a big step up from where they're at. But once you saw it visualized there with every other seat having a T-shirt on it and, uh, and realizing, holy cow, there's going to be this many people in the building. Um, as soon as the game tipped off, you could, you could definitely feel the buzz in the, in the arena. And I did some stuff um, along with Zora Stevenson and uh, Melanie Ricks beforehand in the plaza for the pep rallies that they were having where there was thousands of people out there um, on the plaza right in front of the arena. And you could get the sense there too of, holy cow, this feels like two years ago in that playoff run that the Bucks had. Um, I think it shifted once the game started to there was that buzz and the energy for the first quarter or so. But then the closer the game was, <laughs> it became just this feeling <laughs> of anxiousness. Yeah, where especially because of the opponent, there was just this uneasiness that you could feel all throughout um, the third quarter and fourth quarter, 
and uh, especially down the stretch. And I, you know, as soon as Jimmy, Jimmy Butler hit that shot to force overtime, I think the uh, anxiousness and dread sunk to a new low where you just were putting through your mind. Oh man, is this going to happen again? And for me, the, the biggest feeling of it was there was that euphoria that you could definitely feel and the eruption as soon as Chris hit the uh, now game winner. But then you looked at the clock and you saw there's still five tenths of a second left. Miami calls a timeout. They're going to get to advance the ball. And uh, the first thing I did in that pause was I feel like this was around the same time when the infamous Jimmy Butler foul call happened last year. And look that up and there was four tenths of a second on the clock when that happened. So then you start that dread too of, you know, they won the game with four tenths of a second last year. They have enough time to do it this year. And, and as soon as, you know, that didn't come to fruition, then it went back to the levels of euphoria. But we knew what to expect, that you knew there was going to be a buzz and more people, but it exceeded my expectations going in. Well, that's good to hear because, yeah, I do think that it's in general been a, a problem with the broadcasts uh, all season long. And admittedly, the, the fans haven't been there and, and – you know, quite honestly, people have probably felt a little bit apprehensive about being in crowds and in arenas. But when the postseason comes around, it's different. And I just do think that it's been a broadcasting problem. I don't think they've been able to figure out the sound. I don't think they've been able to figure out how to uh, incorporate announcers that aren't in the building. And that's why I, I do think, and I was able to get the uh, the local feed for the second half. I was having some problems in the first half and it was much better, not only from um, the guys that were doing the job, clearly, but also just the sound purposes as well. And, and I think it is underrated a little bit and there's been a lot of complaints all season long, but when you are trying to bring in sound from a different uh, place, you are going to get all these weird noises and there's been games where you hear the announcers breathing and it's all, it's just very, very strange, but that's the challenges that you have. And you would hope when we get to the postseason, they would have ironed that out. Unfortunately, it wasn't a great look for ESPN yesterday, but that's good to hear because I think um, you summed it up pretty well that there would have been some excitement before this game, but there's no doubt about it. The Bucks just needed to get a win under their belt. They desperately needed it because I think everyone felt it in the fourth quarter. I don't think that you could possibly be a long-term Bucks fan and feel like the Bucks were going to win that game, P particularly when it went to overtime. It just felt like the type of night where it was going to be a backbreaker and the Bucks were going to get their hearts broken in a game that they really did deserve to win but it was going to be the missed shots that caught up with them. It was going to be, whether it was a turnover, a bad officiating call, it was going to hurt them. And I think that's where we can go next with this. So the NBA brings out their uh, final two-minute report or last two-minute report. Um, look, we spoke about the 10-second violation uh, on the show yesterday with Frank. We both had our feelings about that. The last two-minute report, which is no surprise to anyone, says that it was the correct call again. I don't think anyone is disputing that Giannis takes his sweet ass time on the free throw line. Like that's not what we're disputing. We are disputing the timing of bringing that out at that moment in the game was just flat out wrong. Their league has said it's the right call. Fine. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. That's accurate. But one thing that did come up and there was a bunch of different calls that were on the final two minute report was uh, Goran Dragic with his foot on the line. And this kind of got lost when we were doing the post game and, and I think a reason for that is because he hits this three uh, to tie the game up and then uh, the, the play moves on so quickly and then the Bucks end up winning the game that it, it didn't become a factor. But this was also an incredible missed call. I, I don't understand how this is a missed call. And I remember watching the game that uh, Bud and Thanasis and the bench were going crazy. Like it was, it was clearly out of bounds when you watch it again on replay. And the official's job 
is literally to look at the feet of the player. So there's three officials out there. One of the officials' job is to literally look at the feet when he shoots a ball. I don't know how they missed that. It's a terrible missed call, and thank goodness it didn't cost the Bucks. Yeah, so I um, I was moved a little bit um, where, where we're broadcasting the game from now that there's increased capacity. So um, our our old setup just for social distancing was – in the radio booth, we used to have four people on one side of the glass partition that we have, and the road team would be on the other side where it was anywhere from two to four. So we would have me and Ted and Dennis Krause and our engineer all on one side. And now this year with the social distancing, uh, it was just Ted and Dennis occupying those two sides and, and myself and the engineer, we were actually out in the seats. So I was kind of looking at the opponent's bench and that basket was my vantage point. And now we're back in the radio booth for the playoffs. So um, my vantage point is closer to midcourt and the Bucks bench. And I could see Bud going nuts when that play happened. And I had no idea what it was in reference to. And then as you just pointed to, everything was just moving fast that you just kind of moved on. And I didn't realize it until this morning when you saw posts from people on social media with screenshots of uh, Goran Dragic out of bounds that you realized, holy cow, how, how do you miss that call? I mean, like I, we've all, and I'm sure you guys got into it as well, it was not a, a good uh, officiating <laughs> performance. Awesome. And yeah, it was, it was not good. And the Bucks, um, the Bucks benefited on some, but I think the majority of it went to Miami. But this was not a good um, display by the officials in yesterday's game. And that one is going to stick out big time. Um, and look, it, it, you need things like that, I guess, to just kind of break this streak of bad luck and this lack of success that you've had against an opponent like the Miami Heat. I guess you need things like that where you look back and you say, wow, they still won the game. And to me, to kind of tie into that, the one thing that I noticed really, almost the most yesterday was it really seemed like when those moments would occur – and I guess this one is certainly one of them that the players understood it was happening. But when we saw some of those calls, like Dante DiVincenzo getting called when Goran Dragic seemingly just lost his footing, the phantom call on Chris Middleton under the basket that wiped out the Dante basket, that when all these piled up, the thing that struck me most was it didn't appear as though the Bucks were letting that shift their focus. Where I think in the past, in the last year, especially in the bubble, we would have seen that be their downfall and they would harp on it much more and we'd see much more jarring with the officials. And it just seemed in in Dante specifically, you saw when those plays did happen, it seemed like they had this mentality of, okay, let's move on. And Dante, you would see just, okay, and clap and move on. And I don't know that this team does that in the past. And I think they, they probably dwell on it. And that's something that can contribute to a loss. So I think mentally they were in a much better spot yesterday than, than they would have been in previous years, especially against this Miami Heat team. I think it's a really good point you make. It was a similar conversation I was actually having uh, with Eric, Eric Name, just a, a little bit earlier, about an hour ago, just in terms of the reaction of this game. So I want to touch on that um, a little bit more after I talk about our friends over at Headspace. And I'm telling you, this is a really good timed ad spot for Headspace because I think everyone could be feeling a little bit stressed right now. And Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field in mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, 
Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents like Frank, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews similar to Locked On Bucks, and over 60 million downloads. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA. That's headspace.com slash locked on NBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today and take care of your mental state as a Bucks fan during this postseason run and take care of your stomach with Bilt Bar. And I, I, I got to tell you, Justin, the listeners have been getting around Built Bar. I am getting more and more tweets from the listeners that are buying their mixed boxes. They're trying their different flavors. It's their in-game snack like you. You've been doing it all season long. You've told us that. So people are getting around the Built Bars, and I think it's about time. I'm yet to hear a negative review about the Built Bars. There's nine delicious flavors you can choose from. And as you guys know, if you can't pick one, just get a mix box. You'll get all nine. You'll get 18, two of each. And then next time you'll know what, which one to go for there. So they're healthy for you. We know that. Um, great as a, a pre-game snack, but also a pre-exercise snack. So uh, you can't go wrong with Built Bar. Just go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. All right, we're back here, Justin, and I wanted to touch on something that you said uh, just before the break there, and it was about the Bucks' ability to withstand the pressure, withstand some adversity, and keep moving on. And I, I think I've been a little bit taken aback with some of the reaction that seems a little bit negative or still a little bit pessimistic about the Bucks' chances in this series. And on one hand, I do get it, but on the other hand, let's lay out what went down in this game and compare it to where this team was in last year's series. Now, I've been a little bit surprised, and and I guess maybe surprised isn't the right word, but I'm I'm a little bit disappointed when people analyze what went down in the series last year against Miami, that a lot of the perspective is, well, the Bucs just got wiped off the court and dominated. That's not quite accurate as far as I remember, but they got dominated when it mattered in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter. That's when they got dominated in these games last year. In fact, they were in a really good position in game one and two with four minutes to play. And in game three, uh, they, they had a huge lead after three quarters. So they had an opportunity to get in that series. And the reality is they cracked when the pressure was on and the Miami Heat were able to take advantage of that. And if you think about this game yesterday, some of the calls that you mentioned, some of the stuff that went down down the stretch, their inability to hit free throws. Yes, you can sit there and say, well, they didn't hit free throws. So they were cracking. Maybe, maybe, but I still think that their ability to not completely fold, stay locked in on defense, contest shots, uh, team defense that we've seen building throughout the season, hold up against the Miami team that was probably feeling like that was their game to take based on previous experiences. And then you have the setback in overtime uh, that the game goes to overtime and you're still with, uh, still able to withstand that and Middleton's able to hit the big shot at the end. I think that this is a game that you should feel really good about if you're a Bucks fan because they passed a number of tests. I'm going to read out some numbers moving forward here in the show that are going to indicate where there's still a big area for concern and some some boxes that the Bucks have to tick. But this was a team that was under immense pressure and everything we saw last year and the ways that they did get dominated, they were able to pull it out. Yeah, and 
Uh, that series to me, I had the same takeaway as you that um, I went back and watched the five games. I kind of left the series feeling like, wow, the Bucks were really blown out by the heat. And, and for all intents and purposes, it was a sweep in that series. Um, and, and then you went back and you looked through some of the numbers and you watched it again. And it was, well, the series, the five games were decided by 34 points. And, you know, the Bucks, as you just pointed to, were close for the most part in game one. And then the last five minutes where Miami started to pull away. Game two, we all remember how that ended. Game three, the Bucks squandered that lead in game four. Uh, they come back and win. In game five, they kind of hung around until the very end. So it was all about the crunch time, and Miami was better in the crunch time late in the fourth quarter, and their bench was better. And their, their guys on the margins won their minutes, and that's what stood out the most about the series. And I think it was David Thorpe that I was – when I was listening to a bunch of playoff series previews, and he was one of the few guys that had said, you know, rather confidently – I think the Bucs are going to win this series, that they're better than Miami, and Miami's not quite as good last year. But he also pointed to, you know, we can all point to the bubble and say, well, it was just strange for everyone. And Miami seemed to catch lightning in a bottle, and maybe the Lakers did as well. But there's no way to quantify that. But as he pointed out, you know, the Bucs had a pretty big comeback in game two, and you can criticize the Chris Middleton foul that ended up tying the game. But the fact remains, they tied the game. And who knows? if that call doesn't happen or if that sequence goes differently in those four tenths of a second and, and it goes to overtime, if the Bucks win that game, it's a totally different series. So it's easy to look back and say Miami really killed them and blew them off the floor in five games. But who knows? It's that one play that you can point to that really swung the series because that was the moment I think all Bucks fans really realized, okay, they're in big trouble now down two games to none. So um, yeah, 34 points deciding the series. And to me, it's, as you pointed out, it's, it was all about those final few minutes of the fourth quarter and the role players that just showed up and did a much better job for Miami that this is unfortunately going to be remembered as much more of a slaughter than maybe it really was just because of the fact that it went five games and you were the number one seed. So did you say Middleton foul Butler? I know you meant Giannis, but I, I, I might have heard that wrong. But I, 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 meant the, I meant the Middleton where he got the three free throws to tie the game right, right before right. the Butler foul. Yep, yep. Got you, got you, got you. Um, yeah, I certainly had a sense of deja vu when Butler was going to the corner, by the way, for a contested three. So shout out to Drew Holiday. I know we did that yesterday, but again, um, credit to him for not fouling on that play. And, and you know, credit to, to Jimmy Butler as well. He didn't try and fall to the floor or try and feign a foul as well, which we see basically everyone doing. And let's be honest, the Heat were rewarded for just falling over more than the Bucs yesterday. I mean, that's what it came down to. I, I think an area of concern for the Bucs, and I think it's a legitimate area of concern, is the three-point shooting now. I know it's been dismissed a lot, and I know that we spoke about it on the show yesterday and said, look, you're not going to shoot for five for 31 again. Well, I mean, I, I hope they don't. We hope, yeah. But history tells us that the Bucks have been abysmal at shooting wide-open threes in the playoffs in series that really matter. So I've said it endlessly on this show all season long. Against Miami and against Toronto, they were below 30% on wide-open threes, which was significantly lower than it was all season long. The numbers we have in front of us here yesterday against Miami, the Bucks were one for 12 on wide open threes, which is six feet of separation from their defender on open threes, which is four to six feet of separation, which is still an open, open three. I mean, they're, they're shots that good shooters should knock down. The Bucks were two for 12, which means that they were three for 24 
on wide open threes or open threes as classified on NBA.com. Now, again, could they possibly shoot that poorly again? You cross your fingers and hope not. But this is a continuing trend that we've seen from this team now in series that matters. The guys haven't been able to knock down open shots and when they're under pressure and not defensive pressure, but the, the mental pressure of playing in the postseason in a tight game. So, look, they went out and got Bryn Forbes. They went out and got Bobby Portis. They've been fantastic all year. Those guys were 0 for 4. And then you add a miss from Tucker and Pat Connaughton. Overall, those guys were 0 for 6 from 3. Now, again, they weren't alone. The Bucks missed some other threes. Giannis took a couple. He missed them both as well. Middleton was only three for nine himself. But, you know, as much as the spark was there from Portis and Forbes, and we mentioned they scored in different ways, the Bucks are going to have to find a way to shoot threes. And until I see it, I don't know whether it's going to happen. So I don't want to be too negative about that. But this is a continuing trend that we've seen. Yesterday, they got lucky and they were able to pull out this game. But if you're consistently going against the team where they're hitting their open threes and you aren't, and the Heat was 6 for 15 on wide open, 40%, and then 11 for 24 on that 4 to the 6 distance there. So it was 17 made threes to 3 when you're basically uncontested. That, that's not sustainable, and you're not going to win a series or maybe not even win another playoff game if that's the disparity. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think Miami is going to continue to shoot close to this from three. That And I think you've basically said the same thing, that you know going forward, they're probably going to win the three-point column in most, if not all, of these games. It just can't be a plus 15 again, which had never happened before in NBA history. Um, I guess the thing that, that I would look to is Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, we, we talked about them not really having good games, but uh, Jimmy Butler was, what, two of 13 on his two-point attempts? So between he and Bam Adebayo, six of 28 inside the arc there that those two guys went. I would expect those numbers to go up, which is a double-edged sword, I guess, because, um, and I think it ties back to Bam as well, if those shots are falling, they're not going to be taking as many three-pointers. So, yes, maybe they're hitting at a higher volume on their two-point attempts, but it's one fewer point. And I think BAM is going to be the biggest difference there because of the defense that we saw where it was the traditional drop defense and they were essentially giving BAM at a bio anything he wanted. And it was, to me, that was the most jarring thing about this game is I understand part of it is BAM understanding his role in the offense in how being that high screener basically frees up everything for guys like Duncan Robinson. So I'm sure there was a little hesitancy on his part to take those shots when he could be the screener that opens up for Duncan Robinson and gives them three points. But the Bucks were daring Bam Adebayo to take those mid-range jumpers. And you think back to how many times he killed them with that shot in the series a year ago. And to see him as tentative as he was, I would expect that to be one of the big adjustments that Spolstra makes for game two. So we're going to see him take that shot a lot more and in all likelihood make that shot. But again, if it means that it's fewer you know, open looks for Duncan Robinson or even Goran Dragic coming off the screen, I think that's actually going to benefit the Bucs. So, um, yeah, you don't want to be plus 15. And as we just said, no team had ever, ever dealt with that before in, in the playoffs to have the opponent make 15 more threes and win the game. You can't be flirting with disaster like that. And I do think Miami is going to win that margin from here on out, or at least in most of the games. But if you're the Bucs, I think it, it's kind of that trade-off of, well, if Miami starts hitting more of their two-point shots, it's going to mean fewer three-pointers that they're taking. And I really do think as good as 
Bam Adebayo was Ben on Giannis. We saw the blueprint that, you know, Trevor Ariza is nowhere near Jay Crowder, that they just have no answer other than putting Bam Adebayo on Giannis. There's no answer there. And with Brooke Lopez playing the way he is as well, the Bucs are going to have a big advantage at points in the paint. So that's how you offset that is if they're hitting a high volume of threes, we're going to get these easiest shots and we're going to hit them at a high, high volume to at least chip away at that difference. Yeah, 18 points on 10 field goal attempts for Brooke Lopez. And we spoke yesterday about the fact that he got eight free throw attempts as well. So he was a guy that I highlighted specifically heading into this series a number of times as a guy that really gives Miami major, major troubles with the mismatches and just his, his size. I mean, Miami really, really struggle with that size, particularly when they're trying to deal with Giannis going downhill. So again, when we talk about making those threes, if you start to hit a few of those, there's a chance that Miami are going to have to just say, well, fuck it. We, we can't defend everything, keep shooting those open threes. And if you have a night where you're shooting hot from the outside, that's when you can really blow out a game. But in the meantime, yeah, they're going to keep using Brooke. They're going to keep pounding Giannis down there as well. He was 10 for 27. You hope that he starts to get a bit more efficient from down there. But as far as Miami goes, the interesting thing is when you look at the numbers here and, and particularly uh, the the open shots that they were given and bam certainly had a number of open shots and so did Jimmy Butler. But if you look at uh, yesterday's game, uh, Miami on two point field goals were actually seven for uh, 18 on a two point open. Again, those same parameters, four to six feet and, and more uh, they were seven for 18 and they were 50% on the four to six range, which is more likely to be those Jimmy Butler shots. Bam was really, really left open and he couldn't knock any of them down. But that, that mark isn't that far off their season average. It's about the same. They were just around 50% on those open two-pointers all season long as well. So that's pretty much on par. So you talk about an area where Miami have to improve. It's not on those open twos, which again, you can focus on that if you're a Bucks fan and look at the defense and say, man, look at all these open twos they're missing. But the numbers tell you that's about where it's at for the season for Miami. There's not a lot of room for growth outside of, you know, an outlier game. And I know people don't like the term outlier, but that's what it would be. The big difference was on the the really tightly contested twos where the Heat had generally been around 50% all season long, but they were below 30% on those two-point field goals. And I think you have to give some credit to Brooke and, and Giannis and these guys that were down there that were making things difficult. So I would expect, again, that Miami are going to be more efficient from down there and they're going to score a few more points in the paint. But like you pointed to, you hope that the math game evens out there and, and the Bucs are able to withstand that. I want to talk about game two a little bit uh, before we wrap this up and get some thoughts from you. And again, key players that you're looking for. But before I do that, let's talk about our friends at Indeed. Because if you're the hiring expert for your company, what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Indeed makes connecting and hiring with the right talent fast and easy. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests and then add their must-have requirements so you only pay for the applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So if you are hiring, it's clear you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash locked. That's indeed.com slash locked. Offer is valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. 
All right, Justin. Game two, 6.30 p.m. Central Time, Fiserv Forum. The crowd's going to be back there. Hopefully, the weather's good. I haven't checked the weather report, but hopefully they're out there in the Deer District again. Uh, they look like they're out there having a fun time in the sun. It looked like a beautiful day in Milwaukee yesterday. Last week when we did a podcast together, I think I mentioned Duncan Robertson as one of my X factors. I think you mentioned, and, and you said, look, this is a bit of an obvious one, but I think you said Jimmy Butler was yours. Now, Robertson, I hope, and you knew that he was going to have a game like this where he gets hot and he took 13 shots in this game. All 13 were from beyond the arc, and then he had three free throws when he was attempted on a three-point shot as well. We know what he's going to do. We know why he's out there. I think the Bucs need to go at him defensively a little bit more for, for mine. I mean, we saw him last year in the series where Spolster actually became a little bit hesitant to have him out there in key moments because the Bucs were just going at him. So I think with Middleton, I think with Drew, I think with Giannis, you need to get him involved in as many screen actions as you possibly can and make him a defensive liability because that, we've spoke about it. I mean, the, the Heat haven't been playing great defense over the last you know, couple of weeks here or the last month of the regular season. We know what they've done to Giannis historically, and it's incredibly impressive, probably better than any other franchise. But they've got some targets, and I, I think the Bucs can do a better job of going at them, and Duncan Robertson is certainly one of those guys. Yeah, well, and Chris specifically specifically targeted oh, he him loves on, it. on that oh final uh, shot too. But, yeah. you know, if that's the interesting thing when you look at this roster is there are a handful of defensive matchups that the Bucs should be able to exploit because we know how good Jimmy Butler is as a defender and Bam Adebayo as well. But outside of that, Duncan Robinson is a guy that you should be able to target. Kendrick Nunn as well and Goran Dragic. I mean – Andre Iguodala looks every bit a mid-30s player that's in the twilight of his career in the 15 minutes that we saw him in game one. And as we said at the top, too, and, and I'm sure you and Frank touched on this at length, Trevor Ariza just is not the answer. That he had, in my mind, an awful game. And I know he hit the two threes, but he did not play well. And I don't see that improving for him throughout this series. So there are going to be those. And the biggest difference to me is that you know, last year, Miami could hide some of those guys, whether it was Duncan Robinson or Goran Dragic. You could hide them by just placing them on Eric Bledsoe because of some of the issues that we've seen with Eric Bledsoe throughout the playoffs. And they could build the wall to keep Giannis out of the paint, and then they could basically ignore Eric Bledsoe as well, where you, you were essentially at times playing five-on-three defense versus offense. You can't do that with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. So that's the big adjustment to me for the Bucks is, you know, winning those matchups and trying to target um, Chris and Drew much more. And I say trying to target Chris more, even though he led all scorers with 27, but it feels like this could be a big series for him and certainly for Drew Holiday as well. And, you know, much less. And, and you and I talked about this last week for Giannis that I think the expectation should be just because of things like Bam and what Miami likes to do to wall him off. You know, you don't need Giannis to score 30 points or even the 26 that he had in game one. You don't necessarily need that if Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are able to exploit those matchups. And maybe Giannis is just the facilitator again, where he's, you know, maybe leading the team in assists. That's what's going to be most important to me is trying to get those matchups, whether it's Chris on Duncan Robinson again or whoever it is that they have matched up on Drew Holiday, that they just have to take over 
and make Miami make adjustments there and, and shift to doubling those guys rather than focusing on that wall for Giannis. So that's what I have uh, my eye on for the Bucks in game two. And I think too, when you look at the bench, I think Bobby Portis as well, that I kind of probably would have said the opposite a couple of weeks ago, but this feels like there could be potential for Bobby Portis to essentially play that same role we talked about Kelly Olynyk doing for the Heat in the series last year, where the numbers may not have jumped off the page, but the minutes Kelly Olynyk was out there, he made an impact and won his minutes on the floor, and that really helped swing this series. That I think Bobby Portis can do the same for the Bucks because of Miami's lack of depth in the front court. And look, he finished with eight points, but his minutes were big in those 17 minutes, and especially in the first half, which I think all eight points came in. Um, that was at a time where it seemed like the Bucks just could not do anything to knock down that lead in the first and second quarter that was always hovering around seven or so. And Bobby Portis came in and started to consistently hit shots, and the shot that he hit right before the half as well to extend the lead to three. So he gave them some big minutes, and I think he can continue to do that throughout the series. Yeah, I think for the Bucks bench, you're going to see inconsistent minutes, I think, with these guys. And that's why I think, you know, laying out a, a straight-up rotation is kind of a, a futile exercise when it comes to this Bucks team this postseason because I think they have got more versatility. I think it's going to chop and change each game. Uh, all four of those guys off the bench, so Forbes, Tucker, Portis, and Connard, and all topped 10 minutes yes, yesterday but I, or in game one. But I think that we did see that as the game wore on, Bud was like, okay, I, I'm not sure, outside of PJ Tucker, he's like, I'm not sure if I trust you guys out there, um, including Pat Connaughton. And, and, I, and I think it's interesting to see where Pat Connaughton plays in this game because, you know, PJ Tucker maybe is going to play more at the guard spots if Portis is going to get minutes. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out. I think, again, it's going to change. I think Bud will ride the hot hand, which is absolutely the right move when you've got bench scorers. Just ride the hot hand. If a guy comes out there and he knocks down a couple threes, see how much you can get out of him, and, and then you get the starters back out there. I think the obvious answer for where the Bucs can get more offense is Dante DiVincenzo. He was minus six, so he was the only starter who was a, a negative on the box score, uh, plus minus. Middleton was was a zero, so he got back to zero with the game winner. So shout out to him for that. But Dante, yeah, really, uh, you know, and, and to be fair, I, I think it's been overblown all season long um, from the fans on Twitter that want to criticize Dante DiVincenzo for the points that he scored. I mean, you look at this game, you get 27 from Chris, 26 from Giannis, 18 from Brook Lopez, and Drew Holiday has 20. So those guys between them all took over 10 shots. Dante only took five shots because they weren't there. And that's just the role of the fifth starter. So I, I, I don't know what you, where you expect him to pull 15 points from. Like it's, it, they, they weren't there yesterday, and there really wasn't too many occasions where I was like, oh, my God, what is Dante doing out there? There was one play in a pretty critical moment, and I can't exactly pinpoint when it was now, but I'm sure most of the listeners will know where it was out of, the, out of a timeout, I believe, and they really needed a bucket. And somehow it ended up in Dante, Dante's hands for a drive to the basket and just a really sort of awkward, tough attempt at finishing in, in a crowd. And I was like, okay, first of all, that's not the shot I want him to take. But secondly, why has he got the ball in his hands to be taking that shot? I just thought it was, I thought it was ridiculous. And then you, and you mentioned the other bucket that he should have got was wiped away by one of the most ridiculous foul calls I've ever seen in my life. So yeah, I look, look, Dante, again, he's going to have to... Uh, 
impact the game in other ways. He didn't have a single offensive rebound in this game. That's where he can impact the series. So I'm looking for a, a little bit more from Dante in this game. And it's not necessarily just scoring. That's the easiest place to look for Dante. It's not just scoring, but it's in other ways. He can do it on the glass. He can do it with steals that kickstart transition possessions and kickstart Giannis and get him some easy points. So yeah, I'm looking at Dante, but perhaps not in, in the same way that, that many others are. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think too, I would look for the Bucks to get in fast break more. And I know Miami is really good at defending mm-hmm. that, but it did seem like they had opportunities that they didn't really take uh, on a handful of occasions yesterday, especially in the second half where you would get the defensive rebound and then it's, they're slowly bringing it up the court and trying to get something set up instead of just getting out there and going. And that's what we saw when they would reclaim the lead or build up that lead, it was moments like that where Drew Holiday just said, okay, I'm going right to the basket and scoring and coming through with big plays. So I think that's another thing to keep an eye on. And you mentioned the minutes for the bench, how it was pretty consistent across the board. Um, I do hope we see more from PJ Tucker. And this is not yeah. meant as Dante slander, like I'm sure most of Bucks fans, or I'm sure a lot of them, I should say, have had in the last couple of days. But I really would like to see the closing five to be the starters with PJ Tucker swapped in there for Dante, just with the things that he gives. And I think you saw it with his defense on Jimmy Butler, that it just gives you more options to throw at him and the versatility. So I'd like to see more minutes from him and him playing in some of those crunch minutes. But I also wonder if the 10 minutes we see from Pat Connaughton for game one, I wonder if that's going to go up not necessarily significantly, but if we're going to see an increase and if he gets more minutes on Duncan Robinson, because I just don't know that it's ideal to have Chris as the guy chasing him around on some of those screens. And to me, it seems like Pat Connaughton. I know he struggled in that series in the bubble, but I'd still, I think, would much rather see a guy like Pat Connaughton have that role of you just get out there and, and run around and chase Duncan Robinson. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. I too, I too agree that, uh, you know, PJ Tucker out there uh, would be a nice addition. I think we saw on a couple of occasions there where he was kind of matched up on a guard and then you had Drew on the other guard and it, it does just increase your ability to say, okay, Dragic, you want to get in a little pick and roll action? All right, you got Drew Holiday, now you got PJ Tucker, you know, and, and you just feel good about that. I think as a Bucks fan, that was what we all envisioned when we seen it and You know, I'm not going to bring up the tracking data because I've been ridiculed too many times um, for even looking at that by our friend uh, Seth Partnow. So I'm not going to bring up the numbers, but the eye test tells me that PJ Tucker, you know, again, picked up a couple of fouls, three fouls in just his 18 minutes, but his physicality, he did seem to trouble Jimmy Butler on a few possessions there. So certainly um, would not have a problem if we see a little bit more PJ Tucker and Dante playing 37 minutes, admittedly an overtime game, um, does feel like a high number for him. And it might end up being his highest number throughout this series. So um, we'll wait and see how that plays out. But uh, I'm excited for game two. I'm really looking forward to this one, Justin. You'll be there again. Uh, I have no doubt that we're going to be uh, catching up again before this series is said and done. So uh, let's get it going. It feels good to head into a, a game with a 1-0 lead and, and you cross your fingers and hope that... Uh, in around 24 hours, we're going to be feeling very good about ourselves with a 2-0 lead uh, in a series that we know uh, Miami aren't going to go away. Yeah, it, um, and look, I think uh, we didn't have to have the conversation because they won, but um, whoever won or lost game one, and, and we just pointed and ran through why the Bucks should feel good 
and why Miami should feel good. Even if the Bucks lose game two, it is not time to panic. That, again, this team is still better than they were a year ago, and we know Miami is going to make some changes and do things differently. So a one-to-one series is not time for panic. That would just be my caution to all Bucks fans out there. No question. So we'll be back for a post-game pod after game two. So make sure you check that out. Uh, we're seeing the numbers go up. It's postseason time. People are locking in to the podcast. So we appreciate it uh, 100%. And uh, again, I said this yesterday, but if you are new to the show, uh, we're, we're rolling through every post-game for the playoffs and every Monday to Friday right through as well. So there's plenty of podcasts to catch up on so you can su- subscribe and and share and all those things and you'll get notifications when the episodes go up. But uh, for Justin Garcia, the host of the Bucks Radio Network and myself, Kane Pittman. We'll leave it there. We'll catch you guys after game two.